7.02 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. I just had one of those jarring morning radio show host moments. It's when you walk outside the studio and you look out the window and it's still pitch black outside. still dark, yeah. It's still completely dark outside. I know. You can only golf till like 6 o'clock now. It's pretty sad. No. It's okay, though, because with the lack of daylight comes all the sports. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a great sports weekend. I loved it, aside from the fact that the Canucks did that thing on Saturday in Philly. Are you surprised by um, your interest level still at this point in the Seahawks? Like you're still uh, one, interested, are you still watching the games? 100%. I've read this season completely wrong. Yeah, I'm I like, know. I want them to beat the Broncos in week one, and then I want them to lose all their games. I uh, want to talk about this later because your cold, dead heart, it's not accurate. That's not an accurate portrayal because teams do endear themselves to you. Mm-hmm. You have a soft spot for teams. And this one, this Seahawks team, they've, they've sparked something in you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know love. what it is. It's not love. love. It's not love. It's not love. It's not love. Uh, an awakening. <laughs> They're making Buff smile, and it's freaking me out. <laughs> I mean, if they can make a tackle, that would be a lot better. But looks so happy. Uh, okay, before what is we, this I'm feeling. Before we get look at Lenny, he looks great. <laughs> before we get to Mike Tanier, the worst day of my life. <laughs> our NFL insider from Football Outsiders. Before we get to Mike, uh, a little bit of business to take care of. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Also, we are brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Finally, uh, he is our Monday morning quarterback. He is brought to you by the Clayton Public House. He is Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? You know, the NFL has like a little litter of puppies this year that you can't help but love the Seahawks are like a like a little puppy and the Falcons and mm-hmm. the Giants and the Jets they're all these adorable little puppies they're not really going to like reach the Super Bowl and do all these things but it's so cute to see them you know run around and wag their tails and, and have a lot of fun and make things happen on Sunday yeah and sure sometimes they'll pee on the carpet and they'll chew up the furniture but you still love them <laughs> Yeah, well, but then you have, you know, like the Arizona Cardinals that are kind of like an alley cat to get into the house. It's a very different situation. You love the puppies. The other ones, it's like, oh, oh, no, oh no, there's a raccoon in the attic. Well, yeah, you know, as, as much as, as, as we're a Seahawks show, I have to mm-hmm. admit that I was mostly curious about what the reaction would be in Arizona. Does Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury have much time left? Because some of his play calling and, and also I, I don't know if he's a match. With Kyler Murray. Granted, I don't know if any head coach is a match with Kyler Murray, but that Cardinals team was pathetic yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I would think that the Eagles head coaches would be a match with Kyler Murray. You can see what they do with Jalen Hurts. But, uh, by the way, there is no reaction to Arizona. The Cardinals, I do not know if they have any fans. I think everybody just goes out and bakes in the sun when they lose. And Cliff Kingsbury has a contract extension that that was very recently signed, as does Murray as does Steve Kahn. So what you have that is an example of a, a GM, a coach, and a quarterback who all got their financial apologies in the offseason, none of whom really like each other, and they're staying together for the money. And that's what this team looks like, because you're right. The play calling is ridiculous. I don't understand what their identity is supposed to be. Mary is out there just playing playground ball, and you know you get highlight, highlight, mistake, highlight, highlight, mistake. 
And, you know, the GM is just like, hey, you know what we need here? We need more veterans. Yeah, we need to, we need more J.J. Watt and, and Zach Ertz and, and, and A.J. Green and guys like that on this team. So it's, it's a bad situation overall, and I don't know how they get out of it because owners do not like pulling the trigger and firing a guy right after the extension. Uh, I want to talk about the Bills-Chiefs game because it was uh, much ballyhooed. It was on the marquee. You actually kind of referenced it in the frame of a superhero epic movie, which makes sense because we knew what to expect going in. Right, I think everyone knew that the Bills and the Chiefs were two of the best teams, if not the two best teams in the NFL. And we knew what Josh Allen was. We knew what Patrick Mahomes was. So while the game was entertaining and it came down to the wire, I feel like we didn't really learn anything new, but that's okay because they gave us entertainment. And they're going to do it again, inevitably, should they meet in the playoffs. That's right. It's like, oh, yeah, Batman versus Superman. Here it comes. And then you watch it and it's like, yeah, this is kind of how I thought it would go, <laughs> and it's not quite as exciting. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. It was a great game. It wasn't as great as the one in the playoffs, but that was one of the greatest games in NFL history. It probably won't be as great as the one in this year's playoffs that's going to be coming no matter what. But you saw the teams, they could drive against each other, and then because of that urgency that each team had, like, we better score a touchdown every time we're down here. Well, that led to mistakes in the red zone, fourth down stops, interceptions. Uh, the Chiefs missed the field goal and all these little things. So it's, you, you know, drive and stall, drive and stall. And you're kind of waiting, waiting, waiting for that big play at the end. But the Bills did it at the end. They demonstrated. I don't think they needed to prove this to anybody, not even themselves, but they did prove themselves. Yeah, we can go on the road, win this game, seal it in the fourth quarter. And right now, football outsiders, they're number one in offense in our DVOA, number one in defense in our DVOA. There's not many more questions to answer when you rank number one in both categories. What did the Eagles say with their win over the Cowboys? That they're the number one team in the NFC. And and it's really similar. It's like, okay, what did we learn about the Eagles? The same things that we've known. You know, they can they can run the ball. They've got a good uh, play-action passing game. They can, you know, shift into the passing game when they need to. Their defense can pick things up when their offense doesn't. They can play balanced. And I guess the one thing we didn't know about the Eagles is, well, can they really seal these victories? They had a hard time sealing the victory against the Cardinals. Let a couple of earlier opponents back in the game. They let the Cowboys back into the game to a degree, came down to 2017. When they needed a fourth-quarter drive, they got the drive. When they needed a fourth-quarter stop, they got a turnover. And that just demonstrates that the Eagles are just a notch above everybody else in the NFC right now. So if the Eagles are the best team in the NFC and the NFC East, who's the second-best team in the NFC East? Well, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys right now because they're about to get their quarterback back in Dak Prescott. Uh, yesterday's game, yeah, it, it buried the Cooper Rush Dak Prescott controversy with a shovel, and then it buried the shovel. That was the end of that. So you saw that the, the Cowboys what they can do with their pass rush. They can slow down the, any team, including the Eagles. You saw that they can be balanced with their running and passing game if the if the quarterback has some time to throw. Replace Cooper Rush with Dak Prescott, and you have a very very good team. The Giants. I know we were leading towards the Giants. What they're doing is excellent. They're playing very fundamentally sound football. They simply do not have the manpower to sustain this. They're just not good enough 11-on-11 guy-on-guy to win enough consistently to sustain the pace they're on. Um, I want to ask about the Washington Commanders, but I kind of want to stick on that Giants game. Uh, so we'll just we'll punt that question for now. Um, but the Ravens' loss, yeah. that was a bad loss for Baltimore. What happened there? It, it was. Well, first, they, they let the Giants stay in the game. They were dominating the first half of that game. It was not close. And yet, they settled for field goals. They would drive to about the 35-yard line, get a sack, 
get sacked out of field goal range. They did this when the Giants were on their back. And the Packers did the same thing the previous year, the week. You cannot let the Giants linger, linger, linger. You get to this late game where this team is making a comeback against you, and then one mistake kills you. And one huge mistake, the fumbled snap, and then Jackson throws the ball right to a defender. That kills them. So There's also a drop right that right before that that would have made it. So there was it, it would have been second yes. and short. Instead, it's second and long, and you put Jackson in a much tougher position. Right, right. So it's a couple of execution lapses in a row. And th- this is who the Ravens just have chosen to be right now. Yeah, A couple of weeks ago, it looked like, hey, they've got their wide receiver situation figured out. They don't have their wide receiver situation figured out. If Jackson can't find Andrews, he doesn't have any place to go with the ball right now. They want their defense to get stops. Their defense, when the crunch time, winds up getting penalties instead of stops. So it- it's-, it's really bad. It's frustrating because this team leads until like the late in the fourth quarter and then gives it up. But you are who you are in the end, and the Ravens have to figure out how to put away these. If they're leading uh, until the fourth quarter, they have to figure out how to eliminate those turnovers and mistakes in the fourth quarter and seal those wins. Okay, I want to talk about the Washington Commanders, and I don't mean their 12-7 win over the Mm -hmm. Bears on Thursday because there's been a lot of reporting about the ownership situation there. Uh, There was a report in ESPN that suggests that Dan Snyder is keeping dossiers on various owners. (laughs) He's got dirt on them, and as soon as they try and I mean, the idea is that as soon as they force try to force him out, he'll release that information. Mm. What do you think the NFL is going to do with this? This is an ugly situation. This is an ugly situation, and they're going to make rumbling, we're mad and we're worried and we're concerned noises, and they're going to look for an outlet that allows everyone to save face. And one of the things I heard is, you know, Dan Snyder passing control to his children. Now he already technically passed control to his wife and we all know how that works, but they're going to continue doing these sort of let the steam out of the kettle type things. Cause that's what the NFL owners do. They hate this situation, but the thing that they hate worse is the idea that they're going to censor one of their own and try to make him force the, to sell the team. Because once they, once they open that uh, kettle of worms, Who's the next owner they're going to come after? They all realize that. It's like, well, if we go after this one, then are they going to go after Stephen Ross next? Are people going to go after Jerry next? How's this going to go? So they're going to do a lot of, like, log rolling and a lot of very public, oh, we're, we're very concerned about this. And I believe in the end very little substance will actually happen. Uh, there were three teams on Sunday that came into Sunday with major problems or significant problems on offense. And they kind of figured it out all in big victories, the Colts, the Patriots and the Rams. Uh, I want to focus on the Patriots here for a sec, because Mm -hmm. I have no, I mean, I understand their opponents in the last two weeks have not been great. It's been the lions and the Browns, but to have Bailey Zappi, the third string quarterback and a seventh round pick come in and go for over 300 yards in the air in a 38 point victory. It was impressive. How are they doing this in new England? First of all, credit to Zappi, who is, is getting the job done with what he's being asked to do. Credit to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, the offensive coaches, for asking him to do like the right things. A lot of credit to the Patriots' defense because opponents are not scoring touchdowns. They did not get a you know the, there was a shutout against the um, Lions. The Browns did not get a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Uh, the Patriots are shutting down opponents and forcing turnovers. That's giving the offense an opportunity run the ball, run a little bit of play action, kick field goals, you know, kick a field goal, you know, on fourth and one and not worry about the consequences and win the game there. So, and one thing, just watch the highlights of that Browns game. I've never seen a defense just, you know, guys falling over to allow 40-yard touchdowns. Third and 10, a little routine handoff to just say, oh, yeah, the the 
Patriots surrender. We're going to kick a field goal. Little handoff to Stevenson. He goes 31 yards for a touchdown. No defenders in the screen. No defenders, like, getting a finger on the, on, on the uh, running back or on the ball carrier. The Browns' defense really contributed to this in a major way. That is a bad defense. They cannot tackle. But credit goes to the Patriots as an organization for knowing how to manufacture wins like this. Uh, defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, 24-10 victory over the Carolina Panthers. Kind of expected. Carolina's bad. Uh, they w- <laughs> were on the road. It was in Los Angeles. So job, job done. It was Jason's lock of the week also, I should add that. Uh, what did they figure out on offense, if any, in Los Angeles? Very little. They just got the ball a lot. Yeah. Uh, now they did get. They got Allen Robinson a little bit more involved, and it's just like, hey, it's one on one coverage. Just toss the ball to Robinson. He's good at jump balls, and that's what they did. They got him more involved. But you know, if you look at this, not you know, go past the highlight reel and look at the sequence, they're still not moving the ball consistently well. It's now Cup and maybe Robinson, and that's it. And by the fourth quarter, they're facing an opponent with their backup quarterback, P.J. Walker, just fired their coach, don't have a lot of weapons on offense. Everybody on the Panthers is on the trading block. This wasn't a team motivated late in the game, so there were a lot of 75, 80-yard Rams drives. Really didn't see a lot that we can hang our hat on from the Rams, except that they're still hanging around the playoff picture because they rose to three and three. And the Panthers kicked Robbie Anderson out of that game as well. You don't see oh that very gosh. often. Uh, we're, speaking oh. to Mike, we're speaking to Mike Tanny, our, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Uh, two veteran quarterbacks, longstanding staples, uh, although recently for Tom Brady in the NFC. But Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, bad Sundays for both of them. I think Rodgers probably had the worst of the two, got roughed up against the Jets. But Brady... And the Bucks, there's e- got to be equal concern there, given their sputtering start-stop to the season. Uh, who's in bigger trouble right now, given their place in the standings and the outlook for the season? Is it Brady and the Bucks, or is it Rodgers and the Packers? They're both in big trouble. They're both going to figure it out in time for the playoffs. But are they going to figure it out in time to be like the fourth seed and the wild card? Uh, you know, with the Vikings and Eagles. And who knows, maybe the 49ers or whatever atop them. That's the concern there. And, you know, Brady got it all out of the system on the sidelines. He let it all hang out against his offensive line, just screaming and ranting and raving. And, you know, maybe that'll help him put things around. Aaron Rodgers is talking about positive messaging uh, in, his, in his press conference. That's terrifying. I don't know what, want to know what Aaron Rodgers thinks a positive message is. Uh, but I'll say one thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're only averaging 3.1 yards per rush right now. And yet they're still trying to run the ball with Leonard Fournette. They're getting nothing out of it. The way they can help Tom Brady right now is they can figure out a way to not always have it be second and 10, third and nine, third and 10. That's where those pass rushes, pass rushes coming. That's where Brady has to kind of do things that maybe he was better at seven years ago. If they can figure out the play sequence in the running game, they can go a long way to solving their problems. Mike, before we let you go, Monday Night Football tonight, Chargers. Hey, the Broncos are in prime time again. We've actually said, even though they're awful at football, they're fun to watch because it's such a spectacular car crash the entire time. Chargers (laughs) are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Set up Monday Night Football for our listeners. Well, we get to determine once again tonight whether Russell Wilson is washed, injured, or merely flaky. (laughs) And uh, Seattle Seahawks observers are like, it's flaky, it's flaky. And I think we're all landing on it's flaky. I think he's closing his eyes and visualizing open receivers that aren't there, and he is missing the open receivers that are there. And I think over time he figures that out. But what we're looking at tonight are two kind of battered teams. The Chargers have a lot of injuries. That slowed down Justin Herbert's offense. And, you know, we look at these AFC West games where we think, oh, this is going to be a high-scoring, high high uh, high-fireworks showcase. 
there'll be another mucky, you know, uh, struggling to score points uh, game on both sides of the ball. And I'm not making a pick on this one because, again, I'm still trying to figure out Russell Wilson out, and I don't want to make any uh, conclusions until I see more. Uh, washed, injured, or flaky sounds like a rejected game show pitch that someone threw in front of them. <laughs> Can't it be all three, yeah. too? Like, <laughs> it's all three. In the case of Russell all Wilson, congratulations. It's all three. Yeah. Hey, Mike, thanks a lot for doing this day, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Enjoy all the games next weekend. We'll do this again in seven days' time. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, uh, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home for football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. That's how many screens, Jason? How many? I, I wasn't paying attention. 17. 17. The answer 17. Yeah, 17. Uh, visit them online at ClaytonPub.com. Okay, we mentioned before we had Mike on the show about how the Seahawks team has endeared itself to you. And that's mm. the most important thing. Not anything else. Just that they endeared themselves to Jason Bruff. Because going into this season, <laughs> going into this season, you specifically said, I am interested in watching one, one Seahawks game this year. And that was the opener against Denver. Yeah. And after that, the game plan was simple. They were going to stink. They were going to get a really high draft pick because they stunk. And that's how things were supposed to go. But a crazy thing happened along the way, Jason. The Seahawks didn't just start winning football games. They won your heart. Well, they're winning my heart. They could easily lose it over the next little while. They got the Chargers next, the fickle, Giants. Very fickle, very then fickle. they're in Arizona. And then before their bye week, they got to go to Germany and play Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wonder how he'll do with the long flight. You know, older people are not as good. It's true. Geno Smith is a, is a good story. Um, you know, he was a guy that people made fun of. Um I remember people making fun of the Seahawks, quote-unquote, quarterback battle or quarterback competition in the preseason. Uh, I haven't heard the name Drew Locke in a while. Uh, Geno Smith has played really well. He, he didn't play very well, actually. Like he wasn't, he wasn't great yesterday against Arizona. The Seahawks' offensive line wasn't very good against the Arizona Cardinals, but their defense did step up against Arizona. There was a semblance of a pass rush. You're starting to see a real playmaker in Tariq Woolen. The guy's got interceptions. He recovered a, a Kyler Murray fumble yesterday. The whole team stepped up and got a win. Now they're 3-3. Three and three. They're tied for first. They're tied with the Rams and the 49ers. They don't have the tiebreaker, but they're 3-3. Three and three. The Arizona Cardinals, they're 2-4. and four. So for me, um, and this is all very subjective, like, some people just cheer for teams like they want their teams to win. That's kind of it. That's the bottom line, right? I want my teams to win, obviously, but I also want to like the team. Sure. Right? I sure. stopped liking the Seahawks, what they became. Uh, they lost their identity. It became more about Russell Wilson was their identity, and I don't think that was good because I think, uh, you know, this sounds so old man and so old school, and I realized that you know, to win a Super Bowl, you need an elite quarterback, but that can't be the only thing, mm -hmm. right? And I like Pete Carroll as a coach. I know he gets criticized, and I sometimes wonder about some of the things that he does, but I generally believe in the same things that he does, right? Like, I believe in having a strong defense yep. and having a real team-first attitude. And I think the Seahawks lost that when they had Russell Wilson in. It was, it was about... Uh, it was like 
it became about individuals then. You know, Russell Wilson and, and you know, we talked about Jamal Adams or, or DK Metcalf and no one talked about the team. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. they, 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 they weren't a very good team. And frankly, if we're going to bring it back to this Canucks team, it is one of the things that very much frustrates me about this Canucks team. This group has not found a way to mesh as a group and to find out what they are about. Here's why I'm excited right now about this team. The Seahawks. Kenneth Walker III. Um, Now, I'm going to play some audio from Pete Carroll. When the Seahawks went out and spent fairly significant draft capital for a running back, a second-round pick, when they already had Rashad Penny, I think a lot of people were like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem like an area of need. Why this? Why this guy? Who was tremendous last year for Michigan State. The way that he runs, Mm -hmm. he makes a lot of guys miss. Yeah. And Pete was like hyperbolic in his audio. In fact, I'm going to play it right now. This is Pete Carroll on the rookie running back that went for 97 yards and a touchdown yesterday in that 19 to nine win over the Cardinals. I thought Ken Ken Walker was was showed you how legit he is. He's, he's really a special runner, and he's he's going to have marvelous, miraculous runs. Uh, it's going to shock you with the things that he does. He's he's so laterally gifted in in, in breaking and and bursting and all that. Um, I thought that was great today. So he's not Marshawn, a big bruising back, and he's not really Chris Carson who had the high knees and would bust through the line of scrimmage. But there was the one, there was Geno Smith was talking about in the postgame. There was one, it was like a one yard run where he should have been dropped for a loss, but he made about six guys miss. This to me is where the excitement level builds because all of a sudden you can start imagining, you're like, okay, do you have pieces in house? that are going to lead to a bright future. So Woolen at cornerback looks like he's going to be a very good player in the secondary for years to yeah, come. Even Kobe Bryant, I think, has some potential as well. Yes. Uh, not the, the Kobe other, with the K. Co- the other Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yes, yes. But uh, I am very intrigued to see where this goes because, to be honest, um, you know, Pete wants to run the football. Mm-hmm. And I think in years past, every guy has kind of come with an asterisk since Marshawn. Like, Chris Carson was great, but... He had fumbleitis. And he got hurt. Rashad Penny was showed flashes, but no consistency, and he was hurt. Mm. Now, can Kenny Walker stay healthy? That's going to be a question. Doesn't sound like he likes Kenny. It's Kenneth Walker the yeah, third. Yeah, Kenneth Walker or the Ken. third. Or Ken. 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 Yeah, but yeah. not Kenny. But not Kenny. Okay, uh, we got a lot more to get to on the program. Uh, coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show, we're going to talk to IMAC at 8 o'clock. 7.30, we can dip back into some Canucks talk. We can look ahead to tonight's game. A reminder, 4 o'clock puck drop in Washington against the Capitals. We have not talked any baseball yet, and I'm not sure how much we're going to, but there's so many different directions that we could go in. Like the Mariners' season ending with that epic 18-inning game on Saturday also was a part of an amazing Saturday Mm -hmm. in baseball. You had an 18-inning game between the Mariners and the Astros. You had a walk-off where the Guardians beat the Yankees, and then you had the Padres pulling the biggest upset of the postseason, finally getting one over on the Dodgers, the 111 win Los Angeles Dodgers. And I watched that game tip to tail. That was an awesome game. You know it'll be disappointing if uh, the Astros make it to the World Series or the Yankees make it to the World Series. I want Cleveland in there. I so, want San Diego in there. At the beginning of these playoffs, you had all your different World Series matchups. I had, at the bottom yeah. of the list there, there was the sad club one mm-hmm. with Cleveland and San Diego. It's possible. It's very, still out there. There's a decent possibility right it's now. still out there, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, 
San Diego is actually going to have home field advantage in the NLCS because they finished higher in the standings than the Phillies. Okay. So that's that crowd in San Diego is amazing. It's great. There were some awesome crowds over the weekend, actually. Yep. The Mariners crowd was awesome, and the Padres crowd was terrific. The Phillies crowd was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been fun watching baseball. It, it really has. And we maybe we talk a bit about that on the other side. But, uh, you know, this is also a listener segment. So any anything that you want us to talk about, feel free to text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. You're listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. If you're going through Abbott's... The 2-2 pitch, swung on and that's launched. High and deep, right center, home run, Naylor! Gary, what did you make of uh, Naylor's celebration? Yeah. Whatever. It's cute. Yeah, I mean, so it seems like it did bother you a bit. I mean, I, I just was made aware of it. Like, I didn't see it in the moment, and it wouldn't have bothered me in the moment. And it just is kind of funny. 7.33 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. So that audio you heard there, that was Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole talking about what Josh Naylor did in yesterday's game. A Yankees win, by the way. Uh, Naylor, good Canadian kid, went a little bananas. Keeps to himself, you know, he just... He that was keeps a, it on the low. That was a very demonstrative celebration. There was nothing subtle about that. Bottom four, Naylor, the DH for the Guardians, comes to the dish, takes Cole deep, cuts the Yankees' lead to 3-2. So obviously he's fired up. As he's rounding first, he starts doing the, the, the rock the baby. Originally people thought it was the major league, uh, you know. The cojones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But, but it no. wasn't. So he's done this before, and then mouthing the words to Garrett Cole as he comes around third base. That's my little effing son. Very demonstrative. They were losing at the time. They went on to lose. Baseball- Does he mean that Garrett Cole's his son? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. That he's his daddy. That's right. Right. You're all. You're putting it all together now. Okay. Um, the baseball gods. They don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Baseball gods exist. Weird things happen. The Padres, a- the Padres won that series. That entire series changed when the goose landed on the field. <laughs> that entire series changed. The Dodgers did not win a game after that goose landed on the field. I don't know. I can't explain it. There's no metrics for it. There's no analytics. Things just weird stuff happens. In I baseball. absolutely love that, by the way. The, the goose, goose. The goose thing. The goose is loose. It was the best thing that happened. Mm-hmm. The new Billy Goat. Yeah. Right? It just happened. Curse. I don't know what to tell you. Naylor, there's no way Naylor should have done that. Not in the playoffs, not against the Yankees, not going back to Yankee Stadium for Game 5. I Look, I know I sound like an idiot. I don't even care. That was not a good move. No I sport changes from regular season to postseason like baseball. Like, you got fans in Seattle that's like, oh, we're just going to wear our shoes on our head. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, I mean, it was, it's, it's Crazy fun to stuff watch. just happens. Yeah. Right? I mean, I was watching that Dodgers-Padres game. Nothing was going right for the Padres through six innings. They had two hits. They had no runs. And then in the top of the seventh they were booting the ball around like it was a hand grenade couldn't feel the bunt 
Freddie Freeman smacks one back up the middle. It hits second base. Like, nothing was going right. And then, like that, five runs, seventh inning. They finally beat the Dodgers. By the way, the Dodgers are in a complete, like, tailspin yeah. right now. The fans are furious. Bill Plaschke at the new uh, the, at the LA Times is like, this is the biggest collapse in franchise history. <laughs> it's bad. It's the manager's bad. coming back. Dave Roberts does not know how to manage a bullpen. That is very obvious. I think he looks at the analytics too much. He was just running through relievers, and it did not work. Anyway. How many hours of baseball did you watch this weekend? Uh, it's 8 to 10. No, 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 because the Mariners game was seven by itself. I didn't watch a whole Mariners game. Oh, you I was watch gone Saturday afternoon, so I was, and I was Ooh. also juggling trying to keep tabs on the Canucks game mm-hmm. mobily. Right, and so like the, the Mariners game got pushed because I didn't really, I didn't really care. Like it was nice that they had playoff baseball back in Seattle, mm-hmm. but I knew they were done. I'm sorry, I just I knew they weren't going to beat the Astros. So I, yeah, okay. Instinctively, I just put it on the back burner. But then I got home. I was like, woohoo, free baseball. Like, they give us the entire second game, right? It was hilarious. On Saturday, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch the Canucks game and the Mariners game at the same time. Then I'm going to go get some exercise, right? And then instead of that, I'm like, what got dropped in that? And it it looks like I'm on the couch for a seventh straight hour here. I'm just going to order pizza. It was amazing, right? And then they had to bump the Padres game. Like, they bumped it by almost 40 minutes. They said it was a rain delay, but everyone's like, that's not a rain delay. You just don't want it to overlap mm-hmm. with the the Yankees game and the Mariners game. So that game went till almost 11 at night our time. So it was this full spectacle of baseball, and it was awesome. But the Mariners, again, um, you mentioned this earlier, I think. It was a sweep, but it didn't feel like a sweep. Mm-hmm. And rarely I disagree, rarely do I agree with that because I'm like, you get swept, you get swept. But this no, one actually man. genuinely felt like it. There was the Jordan Alvarez home Every run. Every game in, that in the first, Yeah, like the first one was the epic walk-off yeah. by Alvarez. And then the second one, he had another big dinger where the M's were leading. And then, they, and then the third game, I'm glad that Mariners fans, even though it was heartbreaking, that the return to playoff baseball in Seattle, they got that. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's been nice to get a run. Say what you will. Over 18 innings. But, I mean, how dramatic was that? Like so that, much fun. That's yeah. what you're talking about, like standing chewing your fingernails, big pit stains because you're sweating so much. <laughs> that was that game. You'd Somebody that, pointed you... out they stopped serving beer after the 10th inning, too, so everyone was just I Well, they would have stopped it earlier. Stone sober would, by the uh, end they, there. Well, I don't know what the – what the I mean, the, the rules of the Seas games are seventh inning. And yeah, usually seventh is the last. Yeah. Mike and I have talked about this before, but when we were at that quadruple overtime game between the Canucks and the Stars, you know, they stopped beer sales after the second period or whenever it is. Yeah. And then so you're sitting there – in the fourth overtime, you're like, boy, I sure am sober. Yeah. Yeah. I actually started to think about how much my lower back would hurt standing yeah. for so long. I realized it's three hours. I yeah. realized how boring this game actually is. Yeah. <laughs> they no. should have started beer sales again at the 16th inning. Just, totally yeah, like just to see yeah. what happens. Let's that's, add that's some excitement to the fans here. It was uh, the middle of the day. Like, it would have been fine. Yeah. The game started at one. Yeah. Right? I mean, it went late, but. So I don't want to get an- uh, Laddie to anger here. Um, you know, I don't have a. I don't have a hardcore loyalty or allegiance to either the Blue Jays or the Mariners. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'll cheer for both of them. And if you think that's sacrilege, fine. I don't care. I do a lot of things that are wrong. Twitter sure seemed to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> You're you know. a Jays fan. Yeah, no, I saw, I saw a few of that. W- whatever. Can't be I, both. I jump on bandwagons and I make no apologies for it. And I jumped on the Mariners bandwagon and I hope to jump on again next fall uh and now i know some of the players names so i'm like well ahead of things um i hope they're not just a flash in the pan i don't think they will be 
They got some young, good players uh, locked up. I'll be curious to see what they do this offseason. Does ownership, which has already shown that it's willing to spend some money with some contract commitments to some of the younger guys, uh, whether it's – you know, Rodriguez or Castillo. Castillo or, was or, the big one, right? Or whatever. I mean, I guess they're going to have to figure something out with Kirby, um, which player, which yes. which sounds like like your buddy Kirby, but it's in fact that's his last name. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they're going to go out and maybe spend some money on. It's not like their offense was terrible, but I think it could probably be improved a little bit, mm-hmm. given the fact you know they didn't score a run and. 18 innings. That was the Astros. That's that a small yeah, sample size. Julio made a nice catch, though. That was tough. Julio was great yeah. in the playoffs, actually. He was really, and, yeah. uh, you know, they I don't, just don't, they don't want have enough bats right now. Yeah. I just don't want it to be a flash in the pan. Right. Right. I, I, I want them to be a consistent um, threat to make the playoffs. But actually, more than that, I want them to, you know, be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's been two decades. Let's get a run of playoff appearances now. Now, I know that a lot of managers come under scrutiny in the postseason. But uh, I know that there's a lot of people that weren't happy with Scott's service. Um, it's funny because in order to get to the spot, meaning the postseason, where you come under that kind of scrutiny, you have to have a lot of success as a manager, right? Like you talk about Bruce Boudreau as we bring everything comes back to the Canucks. You talk about Bruce Boudreau's playoff failings, right? He never gets it done in the postseason. Well, the reason that he's had those opportunities is because he's been a terrific regular season coach, right? So Scott's service right now is under fire obviously for the Robbie Ray decision in game one, which when you're looking back in retrospect, that kind of cost them the series. I know they yeah. had opportunities no, after sure. that, but that game should have been done. And well, it wasn't just Robbie Ray either. It was like Munoz allowed a two run. I know, but I mean, I know what you mean. Baseball, you mean. baseball really allows itself to crystallize those one key moments because it's well, all individual matchups, do. right? Yeah. But, but that in particular, Ray, like yeah. bringing Ray in, um, Dave Roberts is getting it right now in Los Angeles. And it's funny because as armchair analysts, you're all saying like, ah, you know, fire the manager. Could have done this instead of that. and Could have done this instead of that. It's what makes baseball great. And you know what? The the great part about it is you're going to get, and I guarantee there'll be something tonight because it's game five, Yankees, Guardians, one game, winner take all. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a complete blowout, which based on this series, I, I don't see that happening at all. Uh, I, I love it when it comes down to those like, one singular moments that you just know is going to kind of define a game. I hope we get one tonight. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks are also in action tonight against the Washington Capitals, and there's word out of Washington that Kuznetsov may not be good to go for the Washington Capitals tonight. I think he missed practice yesterday. He's not skating this morning, so it sounds like he'll be a game-time decision. So obviously we never cheer for injuries here, but if Kuznetsov doesn't play, then you've got Kuznetsov missing down the middle. You've got Nicholas Backstrom missing down the middle. So I don't know what the Capitals' top two centers would be. Maybe Lars Eller and be, Dylan Strom. It would be Dylan Strom, Lars Eller, and uh, moving up from the fourth to the third line, Nick Dowd. Nick Dowd. Nick Dowd, everyone. Uh, I'll be curious to see what the Canucks roll out for their lines. Yeah. We got a text in from Ella. Mike and Jason, why do you think Bruce never plays Besser and Pedersen together on the same line. I don't really know, to be perfectly honest with you, Ella. I'm sorry I don't have a better answer there. Uh, I know it doesn't sound like they'll play together tonight. Uh, Horvat and Miller switch spots. Right. So Horvat is now between Besser and Pearson, and maybe that is going to be Bruce's matchup line as much as you can have a matchup line on the road. Pedersen was skating with Kuzmenko and Lazar yesterday. 
Mikheyev is also an option there. And I imagine what would happen if Mikheyev is good to go tonight is that Mikheyev would play with Pedersen and Kuzmenko and Lazar would drop down to the fourth line uh, with Oman and Joshua and Hoaglander would be a healthy scratch. JT Miller, he of the guy that's been on the ice for all eight Canuck goals, was on a line with Garland and Paul Colson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it was a it was a question heading into this season. It's been a question with this team for a while. If the Canucks have a lead, who is their shutdown line? Who gets the who gets the most important defensive assignments? If you look at the three centers that the Canucks have, as much as you like those centers, and you're like, are those good players? Yeah, they're good players. Miller and Horvat are not great defensively, and for whatever reason, Bruce, Bruce Boudreau does not want to put Pedersen in that matchup shutdown role. Bruce Boudreau seems to think that Pedersen is better in the so-called softer matchups. Like yeah. you let Horvat and and Miller handle the the tough assignments. And you let Pedersen hopefully get those opportunities against the weaker matchups. I wonder if Bruce is going to have to rethink that. Because Miller is not good defensively. Horvat is not good defensively. And being good at faceoffs does not mean you're good at you're good defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a this is one of the issues that we talked about. There's two issues that we talked about a lot uh, in terms of the player makeup of the rosters. Like we talked about the coaching, the management, but I'm talking about the roster here. One is obviously obviously the defense. And that really is just like a lack of players, right? Like they need they need more players. They need better players. Uh, but up front, you talk about the lack of two-way ability. Right? How many smart two-way players do the Canucks have? If you and again, if you want to use the comparison of the team a decade ago, fine. Kessler won a Selkie. Burroughs was good defensively. Higgins was good defensively. Malhotra was good defensively. The Sedins were responsible defensively, right? They knew how to lock a game down. They had two lines that you could throw out there and they could check, 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 right? The Kessler line, the Malhotra line. And then you had good defensive pairs with Ham Houston, Bieksa being their shutdown pair. Do the Canucks have any of that right now? No. Like they have talent. There's no doubt they have talent. Right, that's the identity. Of but them. are they? But is it the right mix of players? I don't know if it is. But it is the mix of players. I mean, it's it, for lack of a better explanation, it's what they're working with currently. There is like again, I respect the fact what you're saying about they don't have uh, a true defensive shutdown forward group or maybe even an individual. At the same time, look, be dead honest, you need one against Philly. You didn't need a matchup line. You didn't need a shutdown. Who are you shutting down? Joel Farabee? <laughs> Honestly, like, if you get a 2 nothing lead against Philly, you just go and play. You should yeah, be able to beat them. You should them. be able to win that. I get McDavid and Dreisaitl. You need a matchup because, and you're going to lose that matchup anyway, but you should have a guy that can at least make life difficult. Like, I, But that's I don't a lot know. easier said than done against McDavid than it is against F- the Flyers. Philly's second leading forward in ice time was Noah Cates. Like, if you can't stop that, it goes beyond having a designated shutdown well, guy. Well, let's face it. They they killed themselves against the Flyers. Exactly. Right? It was, the, it was a shorthanded goal given up, and then the winning goal was JT Miller just bobbling a pass in front of his own net, and it was in the back of the net. Yeah. Like, that's, so what, I, that's I, what I'm I, saying. You know, I, I on that winning goal, you're kind of like <laughs> – 
just, just a guy lacking confidence right there, or or it's a bad break, or yeah. it's things piling up on JT Miller. But um, there's no question that tonight, I I, I think that tonight, especially if Kuznetsov doesn't play, once again, like you did in Philly, you look at this lineup and go, yeah, the Canucks have more talent. I mean, should be, I mean if you're if you're, but are they a better team? If there's no Kuznetsov. And your opponent, an opposition center are Lars Eller, Nick Dowd, and Dylan Strom. If you're Miller and Horvat and Pedersen, you're standing up in the room and being like, this is a night where we have to dominate down the middle in the dot. That center position, we have to win that battle. And that's just because you have superior talent and superior depth. Again, Kuznetsov might play, might not, we don't know yet. But I, you know, and I hate saying this because we, we actually, we were laughing at this earlier in the show. But we have said so many times throughout the last couple of seasons, <laughs> I can't wait to see how they respond tonight. Yeah. Be really interested to see how they respond tonight. We'll it's, really find out what this team is made of. And we're never talking about responding after a victory. <laughs> yeah, let's see if they can string some wins together. Yeah, I, I don't remember saying that. I mean, I said it a couple times last year when they went on the crazy run with Boudreaux. I'm like, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this thing keeps going or how long this train keeps running. <laughs> but you're constantly wondering how a team is going to bounce back from a subpar performance or a loss and in the last two instances two games where you should have had at least one point in each of them like I understand all the elements that went into the Edmonton game McDavid and Dreisaitl are inevitable you got hosed on a high sticking missed high sticking penalty which was brutal and egregious but if you remove all the narratives and if you take all the extraneous color away from it you had a three nothing lead in your first game of the year you had a 2 nothing lead in your second game of the year, and you have two losses and zero points. Like, it's just it's not good enough. I know it's only two games into the season. They could win tonight, and they will be right back in the swing of things. But if they win tonight, one of the questions, and it's a legitimate one, is how much better would this road trip have been if you were able to get something out of feeling in Edmonton? Text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Here's one, unsigned. It's not on one line to shut down. When you have the lead, it's a team's mentality and structure you switch to when you have the lead, but we don't have a team. We have a bunch of hockey players. That's a fair comment, man. I don't, dis- a, I, don't dis- is, I don't disagree with that. That's a fair yeah. comment. Yeah. Uh, Gary, the atheist, texts in. I think Gary doesn't believe in anything. No. Uh, I think Boudreaux has to give up this idea of Petey, Horvat, and Miller down the middle and put Miller back on the wing. If the Canucks keep losing, then Boudreaux's going to be open to any idea. Yep. I don't, I'm pretty sure he's got that card in his back pocket to play. Probably a little premature to do it after two games, but he's got it because he knows that it'll work. The, 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 this team, let's be clear, seems very far from desperation mode yet where they're going to start pulling out all the stops. But <laughs> I don't know about very far because if they, if they come home from this road trip with like one win. But what we saw... You're into desperation mode already. uh, We were talking to Samantha Pell from the Washington Post earlier. By the way, you can download and hear her interview, Hour One Podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. Actually, no Google. Don't go to Google. Just Apple and Spotify. Google is still not working. That's right. Uh, You know, I asked her right off the hop. It's like, hey, some similarities here. Washington started with uh, consecutive losses to start the season. There was a little bit of angst and animosity. They came into that game against Montreal on Saturday, switched up the lines, played with a little more urgency, urgency, got the win. So you could see that from the Canucks. And we already saw a glimmer of it yesterday when they skated that the lines do look different. So there's that as well. Uh, Do we read this one from Dalvir? There are no moral victories for the Canucks this year. Could have been if that different plan was undergone. But with the contract bets that have been made, 
you simply have to win. Well, Bruce Bridger said it in training camp. He said, if we don't miss the playoffs this year, it'll be a disaster. I mean, come on. The, the messaging from this group is pretty obvious, right? When you're rolling around wearing shirts that say unfinished business. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no moral victories in the unfinished business business. You know what I mean? Like, this is a team that is all in on making the playoffs. The mm-hmm. coaches said it. The players are wearing it. Like, this is about results. So you can't, you can, again, I got plenty of time for everyone that's like overreaction Monday, two losses. You guys are way too much. You know what's interesting? Nobody said that. Like well, one, one person has texted in and said, you guys are overreacting. That's it. I, I, I think there is a uniform feeling among this fan base that, hey, you guys were the ones that kept on harping on the importance of our first five, ten games. You guys were the ones who said, we're not going to bury ourselves this year. Two games in, you've already started digging. Well, it's just a, it's just a results-based business, and they're a results-based team now. They're not about, um, like, like everyone said, they're not about moral victories. They're, just, they're not. I mean, you know, you need to find a way to scratch and claw points, especially when you have such a recent example of pissing away points, and that was last season. It's right there. It's staring at you. You missed the playoffs by a handful of points because you threw away so many of them at the beginning of the season. So they know that, yeah, it could have gone better in Edmonton. Yeah, it could have gone better in Philly. But at the end of the day, I would say at the least, there's two points there that got pissed away. I hate saying pissed away so many times, but that's what it was, right? You should have at least got Edmonton with one when you have a 3 nothing lead, and you should have at least got one in Philly when they gifted you a 2 nothing lead. Gunner from Kelowna texts in, is there improvement with the Canucks coming, or is there a possibility that this is just it, this is as good as they get? Well, they can be better than they were in Philly. They can be as good as they were in the first period against the Edmonton Oilers. It's just finding that consistently. See, I thought the first period against the Oilers was great. Yeah, they I thought great. they played terrific. They were excellent. So there's your bar. Yeah. Right? Not, I mean, and again, there were some underlying metrics that suggested that Edmonton was controlling a little bit more of play than the 3 nothing lead no, would have but suggested. They were good. They were but the good. Canucks were good at yeah. five on five, and it was with a patchwork, de- patchwork defense. Mm-hmm. And you saw uh, explosive plays from Pedersen. You saw really good play from Kuzmenko. So you saw what the potential could be. That's kind of what makes this frustrating, to be honest, is that you know that there's a level there that they did not get to in Philly. But with all due respect to what the team did uh, in the second half of last season, this team hasn't shown that they can be a good team. Like a Stanley Cup contender, they haven't shown that. They were very reliant on Thatcher Demko down the stretch last season. Very reliant. You know? Yep. I mean, they, ha- they, haven't sh- they haven't shown that they can be a consistently good team. And all the people that were saying, well, they played at a 105-point pace or whatever it was under Bruce Boudreaux last season. Yeah, after they buried themselves. Sure. And they got great goaltending. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I listen, I, I can be a bit cynical. I can be a bit negative. But, no. But believe it or not, like, you know, you can be too optimistic about a team. And this is a message for ownership and management as well. Like, you think about what – there have been, like, two good runs for the Canucks in the last little while, right? There was the bubble in Edmonton, mm-hmm. and then there was the second half of last season. It seems like the Canucks are constantly going, like, let's grasp onto the good and just hope the bad goes away. Um, speaking of the bubble, I feel like it might be a Demko night tonight. I just got I got a hunch. I got a feeling. 
Seven goals against in his first two games. I, again, you're not putting anything at the feet of Thatcher Demko from the first two games. He'd be the least of their problems, I would say, mm-hmm. right? But um, there are those games where he comes in and it's just nothing's getting passed. Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm sure that if you were to get the him. The question it, is, will it be a Demko game tomorrow if the Canucks lose or do they go to Spencer? Martin? Well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, the ideal scenario here is Demko goes in and performs bubble Demko. They get a victory, and then they can go to Martin in the second of a back-to-back. So that's just my humble prediction there is I think we're going to see one of those Thatcher Demko classics tonight as the Canucks take on the Caps well, in I, Washington. I sure hope they get a win because um, I, I, I've said this before on the show, and like I don't want to do another. I don't want to do this again. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do another slow start. Like, I'm kind of out of anger. I mean, I think I could find some. I found some on Saturday, but it's so boring mm-hmm. right, to come in here and criticize the same old things. It's not even a different team. That's the problem, right? Like, if if they had made wholesale changes and they come back and they're bad again, then you're kind of like, well, at least it's a different team that's being bad. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about yeah. the moves. It's the same core, right? It's yeah. the same core. So, guys, prove it. Prove it tonight. Go out there and play well. Salvage this road trip. Bring these fans something to cheer for when you guys return home on Saturday for your home opener. Don't be 1-4. and four. Don't be 0-5. Don't be 0-5. That would be Please bad. don't be 0-5. This uh, is my living. See, now he's upset again. <laughs> Coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, the Canucks conversation continues with Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. iMac joins us next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.